It's my privilege today to share with you the word of God. And this is his word to us this morning. In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, Repent of your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, He is a voice shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. John's clothes were woven from coarse camel hair and he wore a leather belt around his waist. For food, he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem and from all of Judea and all over the Jordan Valley went out to see and hear John. And when they confessed their sins, he baptised them in the Jordan River. But when he saw many Pharisees and Sadducees coming to watch him baptise, he denounced them. You brood of snakes, he exclaimed. Who warned you to flee God's coming wrath? Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Don't just say to each other, Oh, we're safe, for we are the descendants of Abraham. That means nothing, for I tell you, God can create children of Abraham from these very stones. Even now the axe of God's judgment is poised, ready to sever the roots of the trees. Yes, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be chopped down and thrown into the fire. I baptise with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He is ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptised by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptised by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said... It should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptise him. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my dearly loved son who brings me much joy. Thank you, Sister Elaine. I'm just going to give you a moment to get yourself ready and steady yourself for that scripture. If you seeing a newsletter, there is an insert there which might be of help to you, and it's also printed out there. I'll, just, I'll work from that version. So, friends, I want to welcome all those who are Indigenous here with us today as well, and for the non-Indigenous as we celebrate 
all come together for Reconciliation Week, so acknowledge that. Last week, we were looking at the five M's, uh, so I'd be interested still to hear of what you think is one of our strengths in the five functions of a healthy church. I'd love to hear what you think is some of our strengths or what of our growth areas out of that five. But today I only got three M's for you, so it's pretty easy, right? We're looking at message, we're looking at a minister, and we're looking at a ministry. So that's where we're heading. Uh, I'm going to give you a little express um, train trip, you know, on trains, when you look at trains, and you're at the platform, some people are sitting around the wrong way and they go backwards like that. I don't know if you can travel backwards, backwards travel is okay, you don't feel sick. Anyway, I'm going to take us backwards from chapter 20 in Matthew just very quickly, just to say 20 and 19 is about ministry that's happening in Judea. So Jesus moves his disciples to that region and we're going to get back to that next week starting from uh, verse 19. Uh, so 20 and 19 about that. But if you go back before that backwards, we go 18 to chapter 4 and it's Jesus doing ministry with his disciples and they're doing that in the region of Galilee. That's up north in Nazareth, uh, near Nazareth, his home village or hometown. And so those chapters in that big section is, a, is about ministry in that place. And then when you get to chapter 3, we're, at, um, we're actually in Judea again. It's mentions there. And you'll see this is what I've called the ministry of baptism. Uh, so we're looking at the whole of chapter 3, verse 1 saying, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And so that's where we are. Let me pray for us as we start our time together. Dear Lord God, I want to thank you so much for this time. We want to set this apart for you. And may this be a sacred and special time in that regard as we hear what you have to say to us. Sit under your word that you will remove any distractions from our minds that we may actually think after. Uh, what you are calling us to. May your spirit work in our hearts and in our lives right now that we may come to a deeper understanding of you and your things. And we ask and pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, well, firstly there, as I mentioned, the first M is about a message because uh, we meet uh, the message. There's a message for this ministry and we meet the message in verse 2. Did you catch the message? Repent. For the kingdom of heaven has come. Repent uh, really, I suppose, fits in line with Reconciliation Day, saying sorry. But it's more than saying sorry because it actually calls for action. It, It calls for a different way. And the best probably illustration that we have if if you're a driver, and most of us probably drive here, is to do a U-turn from the direction you're heading, realizing you're heading the wrong way to turn your vehicle around and head the other way. Uh, So as mentioned, it it calls for change and a change in your thinking and a change in your action. Now I can give you a very simple way that that's happened in my life and it's about sleep. I used to kind of pride myself on thinking that it's, um, sleep's a waste of time really. And you could do much better things with your life and I try to squeeze as, uh, have a little amount of sleep so I could have maximum amount of awake time and doing things. But I've come to realize and repent of that, to realize that we do have limits and that it's actually good for our health and important that we have a decent night's sleep. 
So I will commend your eight hours to you. But that's a little way that maybe God actually uh, caused me to turn around in my thinking because there might have been arrogance or a pride there. And I wonder what the Lord's um, changing in your life or changed in your life. In verse 2, he's really talking about repent. He's talking about turning away from our sins. And that version which you read did mention that. Um, thank you, Elaine. Turning away from our sins because the kingdom is near. That is the king, Jesus, and his kingdom is coming. It's arrived as he's the king who ushers it in. And so uh, that is the message that John preaches just before Jesus starts. And Jesus picks up this message because if you jump at across to chapter 4, verse 17, you will see that it's the very same thing that Jesus starts preaching when he takes up the ministry. Now, the good news is that if you repent, then you can find forgiveness. You can find reconciliation and that relationship with God. And you can find a future, eternal future, which you can look forward to. The bad news is that if you refuse that, well, we'll all face judgment, and that judgment is a serious thing. I will face it like we faced floods and like we faced fires. You know, we've had a fair bit of that recent times. And uh, the scary thing is with floods that water doesn't discriminate. And a water of judgment, which we've seen in a way, covers all. It's, there's no kind of little places that it recesses that it doesn't get into. Indiscriminately exposes and it finds out all those low-lying areas. And in a similar way, that will happen with us. The good news is that there is rescue stories. And I've got to tell you one of the rescue stories that came out of Lismore Floods. There is a lady named Belinda. And Belinda has actually been in this building because for business breakfasts, she was a business owner here in town and she joined those breakfasts she was here for a couple of those I remember a few years ago she suddenly had an aneurysm as a younger person I might say middle age uh, and miraculously survived that it changed her perspective on a lot of things and it meant that she actually um, decided to move back to Lismore and to care for her parents who lived across the road Unbeknown to her, what happens in these recent times? Uh, her parents are flooding, so she moves them out, relocates them, comes back to her own house, only to find the water rising until she gets to a point where she actually needs to be rescued from a place. The water's come up too fast. The big rescue boat went past and kind of indicated that they'd be back. After a period of time, she's up to her chest with a cat around under one arm and hanging on to the gutter while she's standing on something. Now, I'm going to tell you a story about Derek. Uh, he's a man, uh, a local business owner himself. He's a builder, and he goes to Wallenbar Christian Church. And he and another friend had done like what many other people had done and got their watercraft and started doing self-rescues. And so him and a mate were traveling up and down the streets parallel and kind of meeting at the end and checking in with each other and then moving on to the next street. So they'd done that in Belinda Street, got to the end. Derek says to the other guy with him, oh, there's no one down there. I've checked it. He said, are you sure? His mate said, are you sure? I thought I heard a voice. He said, no, I've just been down there. 
He says, no, there's no one down there. He says, I'm pretty sure I've heard a voice. Derek goes, okay, I'll go back down there. He goes back down there, like he thought, no one there. On his way back, hears a voice and he sees someone. It's Belinda. He picks up Belinda and the cat on the back of the jet ski and takes her to a safe zone. Great story of rescue coming out of the floods. And what I wanted to say is uh, real repentance recognises that you need to be saved and need to be rescued. Need to be rescued like Belinda needs to call out to someone and say, I need help. And in a similar way, real repentance is like that. It's calling out to King Jesus. I really need help. I need the Jesus jet ski. There's religious repentance going on here, and that's not real. The Pharisees were displaying it. The Sadducees jump to verse 7 with me and say, but, and see what it says. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think that you can say to yourself, We have Abraham as our father. I tell you, out of these stones, God can raise up children from Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the tree. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. These are two religious groups, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees more interested in, uh, you might say, a religious mind, and they're obsessed with the law and obedience to the law. The Sadducees, uh, more a political group in a way, still enthusiastic about the Mosaic law. But interestingly, we find out later that they didn't believe in a bodily resurrection. Two religious Jewish groups at the time. Did you notice what he called them? It's not an endearing term, really. <laughs> he calls them a bunch of snakes. You're full of poison. He says similar things to what Jesus says to them in chapters 23 when he says, woe to you religious leaders. Seven times Jesus says, woe to you religious leaders. There's bad fruit. They may look good on the outside, but inside, no good. Reminds me of my father-in-law's lemon tree. He's got a big lemon tree in his backyard. It's pretty grand. It looks pretty big. It gets lots of fruit, but you only have to cut into that fruit and it's as dry as. There's no juice in it. I don't know if you've discovered a lemon tree like that. Faith in your own fruit, faith in your own fruit, well, it'll actually be exposed by the blade and the cutting open. Faith in your own family, which is warned about here, they, they call out for Abraham, you know, they're descendants of Abraham. Well, he reminds him in a similar way, just as a Christian family, if you're in a Christian family, you can't, that's not your ticket into the kingdom. He says you can't rely on that. It's faith in Jesus' work, Jesus' death and his resurrection that counts. And so when you have faith in that, it produces fruit, a fruit of love. He says the axe is already at the tree and there'll be, there'll be a judgment. Those trees that aren't bearing fruit, they're cut down, they're put in a pile and they're burned later. 
You see that at the guava farm out at Tiefen Road. All those trees got pulled up. They're in a pile ready to be burnt. And so the message that we see here, the message is a message of fire for fake fruit. It is a confronting word, but it is also a message that is in need for repentance and a call for repentance, a change. Acknowledging sin, confessing those things, and uh, calling out that you need help. And the great news is the one to come. There is a rescuer. There's a rescue in Jesus. In his death, providing forgiveness, his resurrection, providing a future. That is the message that comes out. The message started singing out from the Judean desert. A message that reaches back actually into the Old Testament because this has a history. Uh, This message uh, and this one bringing this message, uh, it says it's him from Isaiah 40, and you read that in verse 3. Uh, but it's from Isaiah 40, that servant that comes. And in verse 3 it says from Isaiah, A voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. That was what John was doing, bringing that message. But there was a a minister to that message, and let's have a quick look at him, because he was an interesting character. If you flick back to Matthew 1, you would notice that he actually is the cousin of Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus, and his parents is Elizabeth and Zachariah. But we see here, as we read in verse 4, John, uh, he's named as John, who we meet. John wears camel's clothes, itchy stuff, and a leather belt. And you may think, why does he do that? Well, he's actually modelled off Elijah. If you went back to Kings and reading 2 Kings 1, if you want to write that down, if you're a note-taking person, 2 Kings 1, then you'll actually read about Elijah and the clothes that he wore. And here is John, who is replicating and representing one like Elijah. His food that he eats... It's, uh, did you notice there, his diet, high protein, locusts, crispy. I don't know how he cooked them or what he did. They still eat them in some countries today. And actually, it would probably be good for our earth imprint and our environmental care, high protein and little animals. Give it a go. Wild honey, healing properties of honey as well. And maybe John was kicking off what starts as or continues as these days a Jewish festival called Rosh Hashanah, which is a festival, Jewish New Year, celebrating creation of Adam and Eve, and they eat sweet, you know, sweet fruit with honey on it. But here is uh, the minister who we meet in John, not flashy of any any more monastic in his in his lifestyle and a real raw living character, but people are being drawn out to his message. Maybe not drawn to the minister, but drawn to the message. Have a read there, verse 4, we see John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locust and wild honey. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him 
in the Jordan River. We see the message, we have the minister, and now we have the ministry. Now this is ministry to people, people who are humble, humble enough to confess their sins and to receive that sign of baptism, which is that outward sign of that inward change that is happening in a person's life and that spiritual work that is going on. It's a ministry of water baptism here in the Jordan, uh, the Jordan site. I visited there with Maggie as well in, in 2018 in, in the muddy waters. It is a humble little creek. And um, Nahum, if you remember from the Old Testament, from 2 Kings 5. Remember him? He was a kind of important character, of important dude. He thought he was quite important. Uh, but he was told to wash in the dirty, you know, dirty little creek. And he was nearly too proud, nearly too proud to do it. He said, back home, where I come from, there's much more grand things than this dirty creek. But he goes and washes seven times, like Elijah has told him. And what happens? He's healed. That outward healing of him, of leprosy, he's cured. Well, this is the ministry of baptism in the Jordan River um, to the humble that know that they need help. And then you might notice in your notes, so that's basically the message, the minister and the ministry. Uh, but you might notice in verse 11, we start to see this difference between water baptism and spirit baptism. That's my next point as you see there on the screen as well. So water versus spirit. Because John baptizes with water, but Jesus has a baptism, is spiritual. And some people will be baptized with water, but they actually never receive the Spirit. Did you know that can happen? So it may be that they did what their friends did. They went along with the crowd. There wasn't any conviction for them at the time. Uh, but they, they got water baptized with others who were their age. Uh, maybe it was that they, their parents uh, did it for them, but there was no kind of confirmation of that in later years. Uh, there was no ownership of that baptism. Maybe it was that uh, they did it to please a spouse, did it to please their parents. There was no conviction but in their heart and no personal conviction. On the other side, the flip side of that, someone could be baptized with the Spirit but never water baptized. Have you thought about that? Maybe, I don't, I don't know, maybe there's water scarcity. They live in a, in a desert, in, in a drought. Maybe they live in a place where it's dangerous to get cold. They're Eskimo, I don't know. Maybe it's not a, a thing that they've heard much teaching about or been encouraged in. There's not a, a huge culture of that uh, where they come to the Lord or where they, they find out about Him. Maybe they're in a Muslim country and it's a very confronting thing, a very outward thing that other people then see. Maybe their spirit's been working in their life and they're a little bit like Nicodemus and they're not up to that point quite yet. But there is a difference there, have you, not, have you noticed? What's most important out of those two baptisms? I hope you realise uh, that John notices as well. He says, it should be, I need the spirit fire baptism. He says, you, you don't, Jesus doesn't need my water baptism. And so we see on there in verse 11, have a look, have a look with me. Because he starts to talk about um, the difference there. 
And then I'll, I'll get you to notice something about as the mentor of fire. John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Notice the difference? And notice the mention of fire. I don't know if you noticed that. It's actually mentioned back in verse 10. And in verse 10, it's an idea and, a, and it's fire of judgment, really, because it's the pile of wood thing getting ready to be burned up. In verse 11, as it mentioned with fire, it's the purifying kind of idea of fire, where it's purifying our life, where it is the power of the Spirit coming, burning away the impurities in our life. In verse 12, as you see it mentioned again, it is the threshing floor, it's the it's the wheat and the chaff kind of idea. It's judgment again, right? And so there is a warning here as John preaches his message as well. The wheat and chaff, uh, you know, it's funny these days, uh, it's not funny, but in, in political world, um, the major parties have wheat and chaff in them, don't they? So there's a, a real reckoning, I suppose, at this time. But in those days, there was the wheat and chaff, as in they, they grabbed the fork, flicked it in the air, the hard seed and the heavy seed fell to the ground and the wind blew away the chaff. The chaff isn't of use and it was burned up. The grain is gathered together and is a reminder of what Jesus will do as he gathers his people. But a warning for those who aren't his people. In verse 13 then, we move on to Jesus' baptism. And you might be thinking, well, why is Jesus getting baptised? Good question. Thank you for asking. Why is Jesus getting baptised? He's no need of repentance. There's no sin in his life. He is the pure one. He is uh, the one. And John notices that there's a, some sort of role reversal going on here. What's going on? But Jesus might be just identifying and actually confessing for a nation. Just like some of the previous prophets had done. If you go and see Moses, as people moved into the desert... And the whinging and complaining, and Moses calls out on behalf of the nation for the people, pleads to God. Daniel does the same similar thing in exile, in a prayer in Daniel, calls out for the nation and pleads for the nation and confessing their sins. Ezra, Nehemiah, in the rebuilding of the temple. Jesus here confessing sin on behalf of a nation or a people. Jesus also supporting John's ministry actually giving advocate for, for advocating for water baptism. He is also affirming, I assume, this message, this ministry, and uh, the minister that is doing it. Not only is he, is he confessing for a nation or um, supporting the ministry, he also will be inaugurated into his own ministry, which he begins very soon after this. And so it's like a... Uh, starting of Jesus' public ministry goes on after this. And fourthly, he might be identifying, and he is definitely identifying with the penitent people. Not the pretentious, like we see in the Pharisees, but the penitent people who recognize identifying with the humble and humbling himself. 
in that regard. And so uh, we see him say to John, this is appropriate, this is timely, this is what he needs to do. And read on with me in verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So we have Jesus' baptism. Did you notice there too? Father, Son and Spirit all involved. We have the Spirit like a dove descending on Jesus, hovering over maybe. Just like we see in Genesis 1 where the Spirit hovered over the waters in Genesis at the beginning of creation. The Spirit hovering over at Pentecost chapter 2 of Acts, which we'll actually be reminded of as Pentecost Sunday next week. We have the Father and hearing His voice, the words, this is my Son, well pleased. And it goes on in chapter 17 to say what? Listen to Him at His transfiguration. Listen to Him. We have the repeating of those words in Matthew 17. And then we see the Son, obedient Jesus, not complaining. Do I have to get in this dirty creek for them? But actually humbling Himself and showing the way of humility. Well, Angelina and Nathan today uh, will do that themselves, uh, humble themselves, and they'll be baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God in whom we celebrate and who we come to. But I want to finish by thinking about your baptism. You've had a little time to reflect on that in our service and gathering today. But thinking about your baptism. And I reckon there's three types of people here. And you might just want to identify with who you are as I, as I, I pick out three types of people that I see that will be sitting here and with us here today. There's those people that are, are baptised and you believe. And I want to encourage you today to really rejoice. Actually celebrate baptism. Remember what it is. I remember my baptism uh, in 2018 in the Sea of Galilee, right in this area, around here where it happened. And reflect, rejoice today in those promises of God, the promises that go with that, forgiveness of sins and His Spirit gifted to you. If you have been baptised and believe, rejoice and remember those things and see how God's Spirit wants to work in you and change you and bring newness. But I think there's a second group of people here, those that are unbaptised and you believe. You may believe in those things, but there hasn't been a point or haven't, you may have not got around to being water baptised. I want to ask you why. 
What's stopping you? There may be good reason for you to reconsider and to take that slowly. There may be something in your life, some repentance, uh, some issue in your life you want to address before that. There might be good reason for that. But I want to challenge you to think about that today. If you're a believer, but you haven't been water baptised, I want you to consider that. There's groups of people here, those that have been baptised, those that haven't. Uh, But there's also those that are unbelievers. Uh, You could be baptised, you could be unbaptised. And that's the third category which I want to talk about today and the third group of people that I, I want to address right now as we finish. And I want you to consider carefully these words. I want you to consider carefully uh, what is on the table here and what is at stake. Because it's, uh, it's a pretty direct warning about our coming judgments and our plight before God. But it's also a great reminder of Jesus and his rescue story and the Jesus jet ski story where you can call out to him and you can find those great promises of God. I want to lead us in prayer now and bring us to a time of finishing up as you think after those things. If you do want to talk more about that, I'd love to talk to you more about this. Um, I think at the end of the service there'll be offer from people to pray and people to pray with you. And I'm most happy to do that as well. But let me lead you in prayer right now. Dear Lord God, I want to thank you so much for your word. I want to thank you so much that you're a God who talks straight and gives us warnings where we need warning. That you'll uh, call things out for what they are. And Lord God, I, I thank you that you are a God who wants to work with people and wants to work on their heart and you've got a gift of forgiveness and you've got the gift of your spirits to give. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you bring that and that you inaugurate that, that you offer that to us and even to those that are thinking after that today. We pray, Lord, as we consider baptism and all the thoughts that you brought in our heart, Lord and Holy Spirit, we pray that you continue and that you'll uh, help us to think after those things that you brought to our mind today. And Lord, I pray that you'll bring change. Your spirit brings change. And we ask, Lord God, that you'll help us to act on those things that you've brought to us. Convict us, we pray. And this we ask in his name. Amen.